In both of the uh, both the gospel and the first reading, of course, we hear about Satan and how he tempts uh, first Adam and Eve, and then, of course, how he tempts the Lord Jesus. And really, if you if you go to the core of what he's trying to do, he's trying to break our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's trying to break Jesus' relationship with his Father. And then, of course, he's trying to break Adam and Eve's relationship uh, with their Creator. Let's look at the... Uh, let's look at the first reading. Now, the first reading we hear one of, part of one of the two creation stories. There's two creation stories in the, at the very beginning of Genesis. And, you know, one of the things to understand about the first 11 chapters of Genesis is that the type of literature it is is not uh, sort of historical literature. So when you, when you get to, you know, after the the 11th chapter, you start to hear about Abraham, who lived in this town and then went to this town, and it's very historical. What we have in the first 11 chapters is sort of, it's sort of allegory. So it conveys truth, but it's not literally true, right? So in other words, the reason why sin and death and you know, original sin came into the world is not because they ate the wrong fruit. That just sounds paltry. You know, God's going to command them just to not eat a fruit, and because they ate the fruit, suffering, sin, death, painful childbirth is one of them, in case you're paying attention, toil, that's another punishment for the fall. Right? It, it's, so there's a metaphor. There's truth being conveyed, but it's being conveyed in a story. And the reason it's being conveyed that way is because everybody would remember it. And we still do. Right? One of the other stories from the, the first 11 chapters is the story of Noah. And we all know that story. And it conveys truth. Right? But the question of literalism in there, most people understand that it's, there's, there's certain things that are true and there's certain things that in their particulars are not quite as important. Now, the early Christian church understood how this worked because, you know, they didn't really have too many history books. So there wasn't this sort of dichotomy between, like, you know, history and sort of oral tradition. They knew to hand on the faith, they, they told stories. They did have writings also, but they conveyed stories. And those stories conveyed truth, right? So we always remember the whole Adam and Eve story. All right, now let's look at that. God created man from the clay... So man is physical, material, but part of the creation of man is breathing into him the breath of life, breathing into him the Holy Spirit, so that the human person is both physical and spiritual. Right? This is the truth that's conveyed. It's not about the clay, it's about conveying that we are both physical beings and spiritual beings. And that, this, that which makes us like God is this breath of the Holy Spirit. It is God who creates every individual soul and, if you will, breathes the breath of life into every single one of us. So God created them male and female, specifically, binary, male and female, 
no in between. I realize that that's a concept that today is, has become politically charged, but it's absolutely clear and absolutely true that it's divine revelation that God has created us male and female. And so then he gave them commandments. All right, the first commandment was because he created them male and female, he, in, he intended man and woman to be, able, to be able to enter into essentially marriage and bring forth children. But one of the commandments was do not eat of the tree in the center of the garden. Now, if you just look at it literally, which again, even in the early church, they didn't, it's really not about the tree. Oh, they ate an apple and now we have suffering. Now we have deadly hurricanes and earthquakes. That makes perfect sense because they ate a fruit. It doesn't make any sense. That's not the sin. You might say, well, but that seems to be the sin. Well, let me expand. We, we know more based upon the temptation of Satan. All right, so God told them, don't eat of this fruit. And then Satan comes and tempts Eve and says, who told you you couldn't eat it? Well, God said. I mean, he's our father. God said. Because if we eat it, we will die. And Satan, who's a liar, but in the temptation, there's always a bit of truth. Satan says, you surely won't die. That was true and that was false. It was true that it wasn't as though the fruit was poisonous and they would die. You know, they wouldn't eat of a poisonous fruit and immediately die. That's true. What was false is that they would, in fact, die because through that act of disobedience, death would come into the world. So they would die, but they wouldn't die immediately. This is how Satan is. He's, he's a trickster. Right? There's always a little bit of truth. We would never sin if there wasn't a little bit of good in it. If there wasn't something that looked good about it, and then afterward, you know, of course we have that repentance of, ah, again, I did it again. It looks so good this time. We fool ourselves, and Satan tricks us. So he says, you surely won't die. He lies and kind of tells the truth right at the same time. But then he says, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. This is what gives rise to the sin. The envy and pride manifested by Adam and Eve. What tempted them was this, uh, this desire to be like God, knowing good from evil. And Eve says as much. Now she looked at the fruit differently. It's kind of interesting, right? Before, she's just like, fruit, don't eat it. We just won't eat it. Now Satan's like, well, actually, look at it. You can be like God. And then she says, well, you know, we're told, it does look pleasing and something that I can gain wisdom from. So now desire enters in. Now I want that. And what they wanted was to be like God knowing good from evil. And what this really means is being able to determine truth, goodness, and evil for themselves. That's what God does. 
God conveys what is true. God conveys what is good. And the great temptation for Adam and Eve was to be able to do that for themselves. We could be like God and we can determine good. We can determine truth. This is why it was such a great temptation. This is why it was the temptation of Satan, who was thrown out of heaven because he tried to grasp for himself what belonged to God alone. He tried to be like God. He had envy and pride. So when we see you know, the, what's being conveyed, the truth that's being conveyed through this account of our first creation, now we can see that, oh wait, this was a big sin. Because it wasn't like Adam and Eve had a darkened intellect, in effect of original sin, or a weakened will, the other effect of original sin, right? Difficulty knowing what the good is. No, they saw the good clearly. Or difficulty being able to do the good. No, they didn't have the effect of, of original sin such that it was difficult for them to achieve the good. They had full freedom. So they made an act in full freedom and full knowledge. And their act was to try to be like God, to seize for themselves what belonged to God alone. We just had the kids' mass, last mass. So they were all up here, like three billion kids. <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, who makes the rules in your house? And they all said, mom, to which everyone applauded, <laughs> except for the men. But they knew that they didn't make the rules in the house. And I said, why don't you make the rules in the house? Well, we're too young. We don't really know. I mean, basically, they're trying to express, we, we don't really know what the good is. And they didn't say it like that, but that's what they said. We don't really know. You know, these are little ones. Some were a little bigger. We don't really know what the good is. How much more the gulf between ourselves and God it's a greater disparity, ourselves and God, than, you know, than a grade schooler and their parents. It's, a much, it's an infinitely greater gulf of knowledge. Right? God is omnipotent, we are not. God is omniscient, we are not. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. And when we get ourselves into trouble and when we sin... It's very often attached to our own desire to be like God and deciding, no, I, who, who says so? Who says so? Father says so? No. God says so. I just try to convey what God says. And as Moses told his people, follow the commandments of the Lord and you will have life. You will flourish. The Lord gives us commandments not to chain us or bind us, but to liberate us, to give us freedom. And so, as we begin this season of Lent, you know, let's look at our lives. Let's really, really look at our lives and say, where am I off track? Right? Because we all have stuff. We all have stuff. We all have sort of particular sins we tend to commit or particular failings that we tend to repeat? What can I look at in my life? How can I change? How is God calling me to change? And most importantly, how can we see God as God and ourselves as not God? He is the one who conveys truth to us. He is the one 
who commands us not out of a limitation of freedom, but so that if we put our freedom in his freedom, in other words, if we obey him, our freedom will be without limit. So let us commit ourselves over the next number of weeks to conversion and to prayer and trusting in God's wisdom for us. Please stand.